Once upon a time, there was a talent contest in my village. <laughs> there were more than two people involved, but that's me and my friend Sophie Hardman. I was about, I reckon, seven or eight years old at the time, and um, there was great anticipation about the talent contest and um, who would win, who would enter, and just to give you some kind of scale, some kind of idea of what was at stake, contest was a happy meal I kid you not the second prize was 20 pence Ooh, yeah it's actually quite a few entries considering the prize was that big but that's 1998 for you so um my sister entered with her friends and made up a dance to venga boys venga boys are back in town. Oh, oh. come on everyone and um and I um and I decided to enter with my friend Sophie Hardman and we did like a double act filled with confidence and um, our winning strategy as you can see was to wear crop tops with like a jelly flower kind of thing on the front that like you when you squeezed it like the gel moved round and to wear velvet flares oh yeah and sensible school shoes (laughs) and then we chose one of my favorite songs which is Shania Twain's that don't impress me much. And with any great performance in the 90s, if anyone has ever seen a music video or made up a dance routine, we started the routine facing the back. Uh, has it, uh, I've tried, I keep, you know, I've got, man, I feel like a woman in my head now, so I keep thinking of that. But it, it was like, um, da 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 I know a few guys who thought they were. Let's not do the whole song. <laughs> I hadn't known any guys at that point. I was seven. So, <laughs> but I wasn't very easily impressed. That was the message. So, yeah, it's all about, all about the dramatic turn to the front. So the long-awaited day came. We'd practiced, but also, like many children, you don't really learn like a routine. You're like, we'll just blag it on the day. We're going to be great in front of... 50 people, wasn't that many? But, um, so, uh, but then, we were getting ready to go on. We're in our flares, we're in our crop top. And as you can tell from Sophie on the left, Sophie looks reluctant. <laughs> and she was reluctant. And Sophie was like, I'm not going to, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And I was like, listen, this routine involves no interaction between us whatsoever, but you are essential to this routine. <laughs> um, so I would have quit if she hadn't come on stage. So I was like, you have to come on stage. She was like, okay, I'll come on stage. But the deal is... She was like, I have to stand at the back of the stage, literally at the back, behind you. So I'm here, she's there, and we did our dance. So then we get up on stage, we're getting ready. And I turn around to face the audience, and Sophie turns around to face my back. But the dance wasn't very mobile, so I just kind of stood there doing like these arm movements. But I was so nervous. I remember the fear that I was filled with. That I just looked at the ceiling the whole time. So I looked very unimpressed because I wasn't even looking at anyone. So I was just like... (laughs) When someone stood behind me and they're probably thinking, why is that girl at the back? Funnily enough, we didn't win. But, you know, it was good. The main thing was we made it. It was all about the turn. We made it. We faced the audience, even if we didn't look at them, even if we looked at someone else's back. Um, the winners were some cute group who were in my year who did a dance to five, six, seven, eight with cowboy hats. I know. I, yeah, I know. The Happy Meal went to them. I don't know who won the 20 pence. But um, we, made, we made it on stage, and we did, our, we did our dramatic turn to face the audience and begin the dance. 
as many of the 90s kids will know. So, you may have heard the word repent or repentance before. What change of direction that was. Um, And maybe you haven't. Maybe... um, But repentance is this 180-degree turn that we make to begin the dance of the long obedience in the same direction. It is. It's a 180-degree turn. Repent means literally to to change direction, to change your mind. Repent, rethink, change your direction, change your thinking. Turn around, 180 degrees, from walking one way to walking the other. Repent is as dramatic as that. Turn around. And we are thinking about long obedience in the same direction in our series this term. So basically wondering what it looks like to follow Jesus for the long haul. What does it look like to be his friend? What does it look like to walk with him for the rest of our lives? Long obedience in the same direction, following him. The thing about repentance is, and following in the same direction is, as we repent, as we follow in that same direction, we have to keep adjusting. We have to keep um, working out, how can I be obedient in this situation? Every day, I'm first to put my hand up and say that every day we face decisions. Every day I'm facing choices and moments, and even just little crises moments, mini crises, where I have to work out, like what, what to choose? Do I choose to be obedient? Sometimes I don't know what that looks like. So to follow, do, to do the long obedience in the same direction, we are continually having to repent. We're continually having to adjust our direction and work out where is Jesus? How am I still walking with him? Am I still walking with him? Repenting is turning around, changing our mind because I, I don't do every day walking with Jesus. I don't do every day being completely obedient to him. I don't do every day walking in that direction. So we have to continually, again and again, repent, change direction, think differently, keep on in that direction. And to do that, we have to keep adjusting. We have to keep turning. So we're going to read a story which starts with a turn away, but ends with a turn back in repentance. So reach for your Bibles. Or actually, I think there's Bibles all scattered about this room, or you might have it on your phone, or it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. And we're going to turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to, I think it's 24. Does anyone know the page? Go on, first one wins. Go on, Dan. So much. 730. 730? Yeah. So if you turn to that, or it'll be on the screen. What we're going to do is we're going to read it to each other. We're going to absorb this story. Some of you might be really familiar with it. Some of you will never heard it before. But what we're going to do is, um, if you feel confident reading, don't worry if you don't, um, you're going to turn to each other in kind of pairs. And then one of you is going to read verses 11 to 20. And then at the turn, at the turn when the sun turns back, you're going to swap. And the other person's going to read up to 20 to 24, I think it is. And um, so we want to notice the turn. Notice the turn back. You only have a very short amount of time to do this, so I, I suggest you crack on. Go. Read to each other. All right. If you haven't finished, you can read it on the screen. Lovely reading, everyone. It's all about the turn. It's all about the turn. In summary, the youngest father, maybe you were reading too fast to take it in, the youngest son wishes his father was dead and gone so he can crack on and be free of him but have his money. 
So he um, turns away from home and he goes as far as he can away from home. And he um, cracks on with something that the Bible calls wild living. So he goes, he goes traveling. He buys everything he could ever want. He does what he wants in his relationships. He has his independence. He loses contact with his father. Fill in the rest with your imagination. But then there's a massive economic crash in the country that he's living in. He runs out of money. His friends move on or grow distant from him. He scrambles to get any job but ends up in the worst job possible out of just complete desperation. And that kind of job would see him rejected from society. He lives with pigs and he's starving to the point that the best he can imagine is getting to eat some of the pig's food, which not one person will even give to him. He's so disliked. He's so low. People won't even give him pig food. And at this worst case scenario, at the lowest point, at the point of starvation and being reduced to being like an animal, squatting in this pig pen, he turns back to go home. It's all about the turn. But even then, it's not a great one. It's not a great turnaround. He doesn't nail the turn home. It wasn't dramatic. I don't know, it wasn't in like a great context. It wasn't a Christian conference. He doesn't turn back full of hope and excitement at seeing his dad again and being accepted. In fact, he's planning and rehearsing a line just to say, can I just be your slave? I'm really sorry. So he still has a massive misconception about what his dad is like. He does that turn of repentance without having all the priorities in order. He doesn't even realise that he's going to be forgiven and redeemed and celebrated when he gets home. He thinks that his father will just begrudgingly and angrily, he he might let him be a slave. And he doesn't prove that he's given up all that stuff that he's been doing. He doesn't prove that he's going to give up gambling or sleeping with prostitutes or using all his money for whatever he wants. He doesn't prove himself before he turns back either. He doesn't nail the turn. Like Sophie Hardman, who did the dramatic turn at the back of the stage where no one could see her, where she was behind me, even though she was completely full of fear. But she made the turn. She didn't nail it. The prodigal son doesn't nail the turn. He doesn't repay every debt or apologise for every fight or reconcile with every single person he's ever hurt. He doesn't retrace his steps through every single sin and every single letdown that he's ever done. But he makes the turn because it's all about the turn. We don't need to get our feelings and priorities right to repent, to turn back to God, to say sorry to want to keep following him, to adjust our direction and realise that we've been walking in completely the opposite direction. We don't have to understand what we've done. It means turning back to God. Repentance is making the turn, even when we don't nail the turn. All about the turn. How do we know that we don't need to nail it? At the end of the story. The story of the son and the father. And this story is one that Jesus is telling to a crowd of people to illustrate what God is like with his children, us. The son is within sight of his father's house. And the father must have been watching for him, because how does he spot him so quickly? So his father has been watching for him in hope, day after day after day, without any contact, without knowing he's alive. And the father spots him from way off, probably can barely recognise him, but he does. 
And today is the day that he sees his son way off in the distance and he scrambles up the hill. He scrambles towards him. He runs without dignity, without hesitation. He doesn't get there and say, where's all my money? He doesn't get there and say, what have you done? He doesn't say, could you explain yourself to me? He scoops him up. He scoops up his half-dead son and he celebrates. He doesn't even ask him where he's been. And the son's about to come out with his his rehearsed plea and he can't even get it out in time before his father's like, let's celebrate, my son is home. We don't have to nail the turn. He doesn't get the turn back home right, but the father makes it right as the son comes in to sight. As you make that turn back, the minute that you catch glimpse of God the father, The minute that he sees you, just turn your head slightly. He comes running. He sorts it out. He forgives you. He redeems you. He gives you the means and the power and the strength and the boldness to be able to walk forward in faith and do obedience. We don't have to plan it all out and be ready. We just have to turn around. So we can see from this story that repentance is life or death for the son. Because turning back was life. Staying facing this way was starvation, literal starvation. And sometimes if you um, would call yourself a Christian and you feel like you're on this long obedience in the same direction, we can forget that, that constant adjustment, that again and again repentance is still life or death. Even though it happens time and again, it isn't a small refocus to a lens like in the optician's. It's a 180-degree turn every single time, however far along you are on this journey. And I definitely didn't realise this. Um, I think it's really hard to grasp hold of how seriously God takes it. When I was at uni, I basically couldn't really be bothered with my faith anymore. I'd got really bored. I grew up in church and um, always believed in God, always found that really comforting that God loved me. Um, But I was just like, if this is all it means to be a Christian, if this is all it means to follow God, then I'm not really bothered. And so I remember there was one day, completely normal day. I couldn't tell you what the date was. I couldn't tell you what it was like. Totally normal day. I'm sat in my little room at uni. And I'd been thinking about this for months. I'd been coming here. I'd been coming to church. Um, I'd been coming really regularly and participating in it and thinking about faith and wondering what to do, really. I was like, there must be more to this. There must be more to following God, but I think there might be a bit of a cost. And because I'm quite comfortable with where I am with God, I find it quite comfortable that he loves me. I find it comfortable that he's like just there in the background. I think I'm just going to stay on the fence, actually, because... When I, I was like, when I get older, when I get married and have loads of time, because you get, you get more time as you get older, don't you? Um, and, and I have less stuff that I want that to give up, less stuff to sacrifice, when there's less risk, when I know who I am, when I'm secure, when I've got my life down, when I have a job, I was like, then I'll get off the fence. So I was like, do you know what, for now, God, like, I think there might be more, but I don't really want to risk it, because for now, I just want to keep everything that I've got. I'm going to do my relationships how I want. And there's just elements where you're not involved. But there are only elements in my life, right? So I'll, I'll, keep, I'll put you off till I'm older. I'm going to sit on the fence. 
and then I promise I'll get off the fence because I'm sure life will look pretty much the same, right? Sat in my little uni room. I told myself and God all this. And then God replied. And he spoke more strongly than I have ever heard him before or since. He caught my attention. He said, Holly, there is no fence. There is no fence. You follow me or you don't follow me. You think you're sat on the fence, you're actually going in the other direction. I will just fade from significance from your life. I will just fade from existence for you. Your life will look completely different one way or the other. There is no fence. It's not just, oh, um, I, wanna, I'll, I'll, um, I just want a little bit more of Jesus. I just need a little bit more. It's you're all in or you're not. You can't have both. You can't follow at a distance. And I know that sounds really harsh. And it, and it startled me. It shocked me. Because in that moment, God spoke in that strong, nearly scary way that a parent does when they call out when their child's about to step out in front of a car or when they're about to put their hand in a, an electric socket. Or they're about to do something which would seriously, seriously hurt them or even destroy them. You know that time, like if your parent ever shouted you or ever you shouted your kid and you shout so loudly and so fiercely that it actually makes them cry? Actually like, oh, because it kind of throws them. That's the kind of way he spoke. There is no fence. There is no fence. And this sense of the strong voice, the strong parenting of God, makes sense of a picture that I've um, had as I've been preparing this and praying for each one of you guys and praying about repentance. And in this picture, I'm walking towards a cliff edge and to a massive chasm below. I'm walking towards this cliff edge, but I'm like, I'm just sat on the fence. I'm just going to keep God out of this relationship because... I don't really want him to mess it up. I'm just going to keep God out of my bank balance because he can't care about it that much because I like give a little bit here and there. Every time I get a little bit distracted, every time I worship affirmation from other people, every time I put anyone else, my spouse, my kids, my friends, my job, on a pedestal that God should have, I'm edging further and further towards this cliff edge. And God is calling out behind me. And he's like, repent, change your mind, turn around. You're not sat on the fence. You're on a cliff edge. There is a chasm below. You are edging towards destroying yourself. You are edging towards death, not life. Oh, I just, I don't really want to think about what you might do if I like um, talk to you about, about you at work. I don't really want to let you in on this aspect of my life. I'm just going to delay that. I'll do that when I'm older. I'll follow you, Jesus, when I'm older. Oh, do you know what, Jesus? I just really struggle with my self-control. And I'm not sure I can actually hack it like praying every day and reading my Bible. I'm not sure I can make time for it because I'm not sure that you're actually important enough. It's the little things. It's the little things and it's the big things. Where is it where you're sat on the fence and actually you're hanging over a cliff and God is saying, repent, turn back. The reason that sounds like a scary thing, the reason we have this idea of repent as being something which is full of fear, 
something which, is, um, which startles us. It's God uses repent as this warning throughout the Bible. There's loads of different examples. Like I, don't, I couldn't even go through them all. God is warning his people. He's saying, you are edging towards the edge of a cliff and you don't even know it. You don't even see it. You're not sat on the fence. Stood on the edge of a cliff. And God is calling you back because he's a good parent. Because he's made you for more. Because he has good things for you to do. Because he wants you to live. He wants you to live fully. He doesn't want you to live on the edge. He wants you to walk with him. And be friends with him. And see what he's doing. And do you know what? I really didn't want to share that picture. Because I know that um, for some of us, we've got an association around repentance. You might have heard stuff like turn or burn. You might have stuff where basically, you might have heard things where basically it's like God is threatening you, where he's saying turn or else. But that isn't what repentance is. He's not driving us to faith through fear. Remember that strong fatherly voice that says, turn around, stop where you are. Remember that strong fatherly voice who calls out to his son, who runs to him the fastest he can as soon as he spots him on the hill. The one who scoops us up from the cliff edge. The one who, as soon as we even make the slightest move to turn around, he sorts it out. He does the work for us. He forgives us. He comforts us. He moves us forward on a long obedience in the same direction. It's that strong parenting of God. Not fear-driven. He's not full of anger. He's saying, I'm here. Turn around. Just look at me. So for some of us, that turn back that we're going to do today is as dramatic as the youngest son returning home. Maybe you've walked away deliberately from home. Maybe you just wanted a little bit of time out from your father because he's just a bit intense sometimes. He's asking a little bit too much. You're like, do you know what, God? I'm going to take the benefits. I'm going to take the money. I just need a little bit of a break from you. Maybe you've deliberately walked away, even just for a few days. For some of you, maybe you didn't know that there was a home and a father to return to. Maybe you didn't know that all you had to do was just turn and that he would accept you, that he would run to you, that he would hold you, that he would carry you forward. It's all in the turn. It's all in the turn. Maybe for many of you, for me, um, I found that I've, I've realised that God, in parts of my life, in the whole of my life, he's wanting to parent me. The Holy Spirit might be putting on his thumb on an addiction that you just can't shake, on a habit that has just been lingering a little bit too long, on a thought pattern and a thought process or actions or whatever it is that tends to lead you into despair or tends to lead you into feeling condemned. Maybe the Holy Spirit's putting something on that sense of guilt. Maybe this very talk is actually making you feel like, oh man, but it's so hard to turn around because God just makes me feel so guilty. No, remember the Father. 
He doesn't say, son, where have you been? What have you been doing? He celebrates him. He holds him. He sorts it out for him. He doesn't ask for his money back. He's calling. (laughs) You do not need to get sorted before you turn around. You don't need to work out or um, like a plan for how you're going to walk this out. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to prove you've changed. Just turn around. It is all in the turn. You don't have to nail the turn. But we still need to repent. We still need to follow him on that long obedience in the same direction. The band are going to come up and um, we're going to pray together. Each and every one of us needs to do this turnaround. And like me, you might feel a little bit startled. God might have shouted and kind of woken you up to the reality that you're on a cliff edge and that scares you. You just thought you were sat on a fence. You just thought you were chilling until later on when you'd really go all out for God. But the song that the band are going to play is something that I've had in my head all week. Um, it's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the words are, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Listen. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All you have to do is look at him. All you have to do is look at him. Even if you are stewing in your pride, even if you are holding on to bitterness and to sadness and on to hurt that you don't feel like you can ever turn away from because it's like pulling you in the other direction from Jesus. Just make one turn. Just just glimpse over your shoulder. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Just look at him. Don't make it complex. Don't freak out about it. Don't wonder what he looks like. Turn around. Because all of those things will fade. Your pride, your guilt, your fear, your sense of humiliation of, I have to turn around again. I've got it wrong again. It fades as we look at him. He overshadows it with his glory, with his grace. So I'm gonna, um, there's going to be people all around the room and all of us are going to go and just receive a short blessing um, from them. They're just going to pray um, a short prayer over you. And as they pray, just wait there a moment. Just wait and hold in your mind, what is it that you are turning from? Maybe you can't pick anything specific. Maybe it's something about your whole life. Maybe it's that one habit. Maybe it's that one relationship. Maybe it's that one thing. Or maybe it's just generally. Hold it in your mind as they pray for you. And then as you turn back to your seat, recognise it. You're not turning back in faith. You're turning towards God. You're turning 
to him. You're looking at him. Recognise that you are moving forward in faith, in obedience, a long way in the same direction. Think about what it means for you. So all the guys are going to get up and stand around the room. We're all going to stand together. If people at the end of the rows want to get up first, that makes it easier for us all to go. You can work it out. Yeah. So there's people around, there's people on this side, people at the back, people at the front. They'll be quite obvious. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to go and receive that blessing and turn back in repentance wherever we are on this long obedience in the same direction. So Father God, I thank you that you are a good Father. I thank you that you come running, that there is nothing that we could ever do that would make you run even a little bit slower. There's nothing we could do. There's there's no pride that would get in the way. There's no sense of humiliation that would get in the way that would make you even hesitate for a moment to come running as hard as you can back to us. I thank you that you are waiting for us. I thank you that you're such a good father that you are calling us back and you call us back strongly because you take our lives and our decisions seriously. You take the small things seriously and you take the big things seriously. I thank you, God, for this picture of the cliff edge and I pray that we would all notice it now. Where are we hanging over the cliff? Where are you calling us back from? I thank you for the fierceness that you call us with. I thank you that you are so compassionate and you love us so much that you say, please, turn around. Come back. Take your life seriously. Every day. So Father, I pray that we'd know your goodness. We would know your kindness. And as we turn to you now, as we catch a glimpse of you, that all the, all the heartache, all the pride, all the hurt would fade just as we gaze at you. I thank you that you are going to move us forward and help us towards obedience for the rest of our lives. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you just want to start going to the people who are going to pray for us and we're going to worship together.